So, Peter, the first thing I want to ask you is that, you know, you were born in London, England. How did you end up in Canada? <laughs> well, it, it, it's kind of a long story, but I was born in London. My parents uh, were British. My dad had been in the RAF during the uh, Second World War, uh, flying Lancaster bombers. And uh, I was born in 1948, a couple of years after the war. It was a difficult time in Britain, still recovering from uh, various aspects of the war. And we moved from uh, England to Malaysia, what was then Malaya, in Kuala Lumpur, as my dad was working with the British Foreign Service. Uh, we spent a few years there before we decided to move to Canada. My dad had been offered a job with the uh, Canadian government. That's how we ended up in Ottawa, where I went to high school and then joined the Navy, started traveling the country. And the one thing led to another. I ended up working for the CBC in Churchill, Manitoba, of all places, to start in 1968. You did join the Royal Canadian Navy in 1966. Why, what made you choose that decision? Well, a couple of things, really. I hadn't done that well at high school, and I was unlikely to get into university without taking another run in what was then grade 13. So I wanted to get going. It was the 1960s. The you know People were, especially young people, wanted to travel, see the country, see the world. And I, uh, I thought, okay, well, there's no better way to do that than to take the opportunity I had with, with the Navy. And so I went into the Navy in fall of 1966 as a young officer cadet learning how to fly. And I went into flying training. It worked out about as well as my school did. It didn't work out that well for me. I did primary flying school and then went to advanced flying school. And at a certain point, they thought it might be better if I went to sea for a while before I finished my flying training. And I took the option at that point of getting out. I ended up working for a small airline in northern Manitoba. At the age of 19, you already mentioned this prior, but in Churchill, Manitoba, you got your big break. You were discovered by station manager for a local CBC radio station. What was that like, and do you remember that announcement? Oh, yeah, I remember it very well. I was helping out the ticket agents that day. I mean, I did everything in Churchill for this little airline called Transair. I loaded planes, I fueled aircraft, I sold tickets, you name it, I did it. That particular day, they asked me to announce the flight on the PA system because they were busy at the counter dealing with passengers who were upset that the flight had, I think the flight had been oversold. And uh, they were trying to, you know, work out arrangements with passengers for other flights. Anyway, so I went up to the microphone and I did Transair Flight 106 for Thompson the Bond, Winnipeg, now ready for boarding. This guy in the terminal building that day heard me, and he was the manager of the CBC Northern Service uh, Station in Churchill, and he offered me a job on the spot as a the late night and a disc jockey, uh, 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. music show. Now, you know, people go, wow, you know, that's a heck of a way to join. The fact is, he needed somebody. He couldn't find anybody. We're talking about a small town. There's only about 1,500 people in Churchill at that point. And uh, I don't know how many other people he'd offered the job to. <laughs> but uh, I was the first one who said yes. And I worked days at uh, Transair and nights at CBC for most of about a year until they offered me a full-time job. And uh, I, by then, I'd already shown an interest in wanting to get into news rather than music. And they let me do that. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's 
the big break there only at 19. And, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about your time frame from your start uh, at that CBC to hosting the National? Because, I mean, you've covered some big stories like the 95 Quebec referendum, numerous federal elections, and, you know, the death of politicians like Jack Layton and Pierre Trudeau. So tell me more about the journey. Well, it was a long journey. I mean, I uh, started with the CBC in 1968. I spent 20 years as as a reporter, basically. I started a newscast in Churchill. I made a name for myself doing that, doing all the interviews, all the writing, everything. I went from Churchill to Winnipeg into the local newsroom there. And then by 1975, I was offered a job as the Nationals correspondent in Saskatchewan. So you were responsible for the whole province. And then from Saskatchewan, I went to Ottawa. Ottawa, I did a number of overseas assignments in London and also in Washington, you know, kind of filling in for between correspondent changes. By then, I'd also started anchoring weekend programs at the National. And in 1988, I was offered the job that I'm currently in right now as chief correspondent and anchor of of the National. You know, also in 1988, you could have gone to CBS to host their news program, something that you and Mark Critch talked about when he impersonated you. Uh, I, you both believed that, you, I guess you both kind of joked around that it was a stupid move to stay in Canada. But uh, why Why did you stay in Canada? What made you stay here? Yeah, I mean, let's, let's be sure people understand. But, you know, when I was with Mark, we were we were getting around. Oh, yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. I've, uh, I've never regretted that decision. I mean, CBS was a wonderful job opportunity. It was the morning program, uh, their morning network uh, news program, the one that Charlie Rose anchors now. In fact, Charlie was my competition in the, at that time in 1988, and they chose me for some reason over Charlie, which I've never, never quite understood. But anyway, I, you know, I was going to go. And then uh, the CBC offered me the national, um, along with Nolan Nash making that offer. And Nolan was, at that time, was the anchor of the national. This had been a job that I looked forward to all, all my life. You know, all my career at the CBC, I'd always, even from my Churchill days, had looked at that as, as the goal. And when it was suddenly in front of me, I, uh, I didn't hesitate at all. I, you know, I grabbed it and I've never regretted it. So, Peter, let's get into some of the more fun side of Peter Mansbridge, because I don't feel a lot of people know that about you. So are you cool with uh, people seeing your lighter side? Uh, sure. If you think I have one, I'm uh, <laughs> always game for that. Okay. Well, I'll start off with saying, uh, how do you see yourself? What are some of the characteristics that we don't see or know about you? Professionally, I'm a journalist, and that's you know that's what I care about and what I've worked you know for almost 50 years doing. And you know, I love telling stories and being involved in the storytelling business, which is the business of journalism. And you know, getting things accurate, being fair, putting things in context. But you know, I also have a another life outside of my professional life, and I you know I like I like to enjoy my time and my personal time, whether it's golfing or you know, just goofing around with my family, going to watch my wife perform. She's a, an actor and singer and dancer. And I, I live a very life. It's not all sitting and doing the news. I mean, people see me occasionally, whether I'm giving speeches or doing a Facebook Live, and they say, hey, this guy's guy could be funny. Well, yeah, I just don't have the opportunity during the national is, you know, stand there and crack a few jokes. It doesn't work that way. This is why I bring it up, because 
um, you do have the fun side, and this is where I bring it up to you, is because in 2016, you led your voice to Zootopia, a Disney's animation, as Peter Moosebridge. How did that come about, and how fun was it to do that? Well, it's funny. It was another airport story. I was on my way to Vancouver for an assignment, and there was a guy in the security line behind me coming through and said, you know, uh, Peter Mansbury is great to meet you. I was just talking about you in a meeting today. And I said, oh, yeah, it's very nice. She said, no, no, I'm a, an executive with uh, Disney, uh, vice president of Disney. We were talking about you. We'd love you to be in our next big movie. And I, you know, I, I don't know anything about the current Disney movies, but he said, you know, we just, this is going to be bigger than Frozen. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what Frozen was at that point. But anyway, I, you know, I didn't know what to believe. And I said, well, look, you know, I don't do that kind of stuff when it's kind of against CBC policy. But if you want to send me a note or contact me, go ahead. Anyway, one thing led to another. And the next thing I knew that they were offering this this part, very small part, kind of a cameo, and really wanted to do it. And the executives in Hollywood and Disney were really big on it. And I realized how serious they were and, you know, what a top-notch organization they are. And so, as I said, normally the CBC does not get involved in stuff like that for its news people, and I agree with that, but this was, you know, this to me was harmless and it was also involved a partner to Disney that the CBC has been in partnership with since the, you know, the late 1950s with their TV program on Sunday night. And so I made the argument that we should do this, that it was good for us, and that the film was likely to be very successful, which it was. You know, over a billion viewers and Academy Awards and Gold Globe, all that stuff. And uh, we did it. I was supposed to go to Los Angeles, to Hollywood, to their recording studio to, to do my part, but I couldn't because it was, that was all taking place during the election of 2015. And so they moved, they came here, they came to Toronto, leased a recording studio and did it all in there. My 10 seconds, they they seem to go to an enormous expense to get my 10 seconds, but never was. I enjoyed the whole kind of pun of Peter Moosebridge. And, you know, when you hear it and see it, it's it's kind of like you can believe that it's you doing the part, but it's nice to see the little bit of a lighter side to it as well. You've been kind of portrayed on uh, 22 Minutes by Mark Rich and even sat down and did an interview with him as he was pretending to be you. Do you enjoy that kind of stuff? And how do you take it when people uh, impersonate you? Well, you know, I think it's flattering, not just to me, but to, uh, you know, to the CBC and the National in particular. It sort of gives a sense that uh, the people do care about us and enough that the times we can be made fun of too and that's that's good you know you, you can get carried away with your self-importance and when you're taken down by a guy like <laughs> you realize that one you're flattered that he's doing it two he's probably right in doing it so it's all fine it's all good yeah because it seems like you guys have a, a very uh, I guess friendly relationship because I even remember when Trump was elected uh, he was on your show and he kind of made the joke that you know in a few months you're gone anyway so I mean like you're you're off in the wind you kind of had a chuckle at him you know just kind of teasing you a little bit yeah no 
listen, I've got a lot of time for Mark. He's an extremely talented guy. I think he performs a really he and the whole 22 Minutes gang and, and Rick uh, Mercer and his program perform an important part of, of the Canadian scene in, in, in that everybody's going to be taken down a notch every once in a while. And sometimes that humor is used for real effect. And, uh, and, and we're lucky to have people like that. You're a fan of the Jets, but you grew up a Leafs fan. Why the interest in these teams? Well, I'm a fan of both. I, I did grow up a Leafs fan back in the old uh, six-team league. You know, you basically, if you were Canadian, you usually cho- chose between Toronto and Montreal. I was living in Ottawa, and I, I chose Toronto. And I've always had a soft spot for Toronto. And I, you know, I got season tickets to the Leafs. And, we just had a heck of a season, and it was very exciting. Now, at the same time, when I moved to uh, Manitoba in the late 60s, and I was there for almost a decade, I watched the birth of the Winnipeg Jets in terms of an NHL team, uh, WHA and then NHL, Bobby Hull, Anders Hedberg, Wolf Nielsen, and all those guys, and it was great great to watch and i'm a you know a season ticket holder in winnipeg as well with the jets i have family in winnipeg and so i you know i thought those mainly for them but i'm a you know i follow the jets and it was kind of a heartbreaker this year because they have a very very good team that it just didn't come together for them this year but i'm sure it will next so they've got some great young players still coming up through the system but they already have an excellent team and it's just getting them playing on the same same score sheet as uh, as the Leafs are doing now. And I think we're going to hear a lot more from the Winnipeg Jets in the next few years. And I agree. I think those two teams are well on their way to becoming, uh, you know, Stanley Cup contenders in the next few seasons. To get back to a bit of a political aspect here is now you've interviewed Pierre Trudeau and Justin Trudeau. What are some of the similarities and differences you find in both of them? Well, about the only similarity is the name. They're very different in, in the way they deal with politics, the way they deal with journalists and, and critics. And I think that's good. People have tried to, some of uh, Justin Trudeau's opposition have tried to paint him as the same as his father, and it doesn't carry. There's lots of ways to go after Justin Trudeau, but that's not one of them. You know, they're, they're very different. And they also came at different times in my career. When I was interviewing Pierre Trudeau, I was in my 20s, I think, the first time I interviewed him. I'm, you know, interviewing Justin Trudeau as, as prime minister. I'm in my 60s, so I got a lot more uh, experience and heft in that sense uh, behind me than I did when I was interviewing his father. I, I can tell you interviewing his father was a real challenge. <laughs> you, you better know your stuff when you sat down across from Pierre Trudeau because he would expose you as a, you know, as basically a fraud within, uh, within seconds. So it was, uh, it was very different in, in, in that sense. But I have a lot of respect for both of them, as I have a lot of respect for anybody who uh, achieves prime ministerial status, and for that matter, anybody who you know goes into public service. We tend to focus on those who go wrong uh, during their time in uh, in politics, and there's no doubt some do. But the majority don't, and the majority are there to serve the public and to make life better for us. We may not agree with the way they're going about that, or even what their solutions are. But we should respect the fact that they're there and that they do run for public office, which at these days is a tough thing to do, to commit yourself to standing in, a, you know, in front of a, an audience and bearing all your background, exposing everything that you've ever done in your life 
as you uh, as you run for public office. You know, we're not all perfect. In fact, very few of us are uh, in any way perfect. And for, for these people who believe strongly in trying to make a better Canada, whatever level of politics they're in, I have a lot of respect for them. I don't have a lot of respect for those who don't take the office seriously and try to better their own personal petition by, by running for office. But those are the minority. Majority of people I've met over, you know, nearly half a century covering various aspects of political life in Canada are pretty good people. And finally, Peter, the last question I got here for you is on July 1st, 2017, you're stepping away from the National, uh, being the longest active news anchor among the big three networks in Canada. Uh, what's next for you and what will you miss? Well, um, I'll miss the daily cut and grind of, of the National, but that's one of the reasons I decided to step down because at a certain point, you know, it takes uh, it takes a younger mind to challenge the uh, conventions of the day, and uh, that's what we're all going through in, in the news business as we look for new and different ways to tell stories. But I'm not leaving journalism. I mean, I'm a journalist. I'm a storyteller. I've always been that. I've always felt strongly about that. But I will continue on. You know, CBC has offered a number of different platforms uh, to me to continue doing that. And, you know, at some point I'll, I'll be announcing uh, how I'm going to do that. But, uh, I'll, you know, I'll still be around, uh, but I won't be there on a, a daily basis anymore. So we might see a Peter Mansbridge one-on-one podcast, maybe? No, one-on-one, uh, one-on-one ends the same day that uh, the National does for me. It would be a, a, a very different... Whatever I do in the future will be different from what I've done in the past. Okay. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to that. That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to Peter Mansbridge for coming on the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying, if you are around long enough to interview a father and a son, you gotta be classified as a goat in the business, right? But am I right, though? Anyways, thanks for listening, and good night. looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.